Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cricket and the King podcast, the podcast where Jesus is the answer to everything and we are constantly expanding on that point. I'm your host Ben and we're back with another chapter of James, maybe two chapters. We're going to kind of see how it goes for time here. So without further ado, let's jump into the word and see what God has to say to us. Okay, so we're on James chapter 4 starting at verse 1 if you're following along. Here we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You know what? Uh, as an aside, I have never killed anybody because I wanted something of theirs and felt like I should take it, but, uh, you know, apparently that was common back in the day and they were busy shanking each other to get each other's stuff you know somebody had a cool clay pot and you just stab them to death and you take it maybe maybe that was a little more common but it, you know the heart issue is the same if you're all bitter against somebody you're not uh, you're not in the right heart so anyway we're on to verse three when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures i know i've prayed like oh god give me a million dollars uh especially when i was a kid now kind of less but sometimes we don't get that because our motives are selfishness it's not love or anything pure coming out of our hearts we don't have any we don't have any good things to do we're like I want a million dollars so that I can get a Lamborghini and a racetrack and a cool pair of shoes. I don't know, whatever you're into spending a million dollars on. Okay, so then we go on to verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means en en enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Ooh, what a strong statement. Fantastic, though. If you choose to be a friend of the world, means you're an enemy of God. Now, that does, obviously doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things in the world. By that, I mean, like, you know, like, if you like to run really fast, and then you're like, this is fun, you're that you're not an enemy of God because you're enjoying what's part of the world. It's, it's a, an attitude of loving the world rather than God and loving the things of the world, uh, like the way the world thinks and behaves, rather than loving God and living in your created value and understanding of who you are and what is so much greater than what you see the 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 new heaven and the new earth that is to come anyway or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us but he gives us more grace that is why the scripture says god opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I just Again, I want to pause right there on verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think we often hear like, oh, the devil's going to come after you super hard if you start following Jesus. It's like, yeah, but just resist. And then he flees. And it's not like, you know, he come back, kind of see like, oh, if you, hey, you backslidden, you busy sitting in sin there. But it says here, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And that's straight out of the word of God. So what a what an awesome promise from the Lord. So resist the devil, he will flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. I actually, I talk about this verse a lot when I <clears throat> explain closeness with God to people. It Notice it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You're actually the one that makes the first move. Uh, God's intimacy is always available, but we actually have to be the ones that are uh, making the move uh, to spend time with him. 
Uh, and then we're actually still in verse 8, just the second part of verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oof. So, grieve, mourn, and wail. Well, I personally have not done a lot of wailing before the Lord, but um, I think it's what it's saying in that context is uh, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Yeah, wash your hands, you sinners. So, it's saying like, like, don't take your sin lightly. Really, really think about it. Acknowledge what is going on in your life and the sin that you're participating in and actually come to repentance over it. Um, often, we kind of preach that repentance is just this one little little thing, this little moment, and, and it can be a very short moment of acknowledging sin, but you actually have to acknowledge the weight of the sin. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I sinned, but God will forgive me. No, 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 that's unrepentant. And then especially if you're like, oh, God's grace is there, so I'm going to do it again. Well, that's unrepentant sin that goes into dangerous territory of being uh, flippant. And that's that's a hard place to bring your heart out of. So anyway, we're on to verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander anyone. Ooh, gossip or like stabbing somebody in the back with an offhand comment. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them. Sorry. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I always like this because we always like to nitpick. Um, and I think we forget that that uh, the log needs to get taken out of our own eye. But interestingly enough, when the log's out of our eye, we're, we're clear to take the speck. But the speck is never taken from somebody else's eye in judgment. So when we judge our neighbors, we're not... Uh, it's it means your judgment doesn't mean like uh, uh I I use the smoking crack example because it's the most extreme thing but it's not perceiving that that person is living in sin it's if you think that you have the right right to decide who they are and their created value based on their actions rather than seeing them from who they truly are and what their created value was made to be which is the image of God and then calling them higher out of love which isn't judgment, it's love. Um, although people could say it sounds judgmental or whatever. But anyway, when we judge our neighbor, like you said, there's only the one lawgiver and judge. So we're not God. Let's not try to take his place. So now uh, another header is boasting about tomorrow. We're on verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Holy moly, you know what? I want to take a little while to unpack this because this is something that's personally convicted my heart many times. Um... Uh, that first part where it's like, don't make plans. I am a planner and I'm always like, this is what's going to happen. And this is what I need to do before I can, uh, you know, be successful or whatever. Um, and I would always say, 
yeah, this is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to play out. And sometimes I would even say, God's going to do this and this and this. And, you know, it's good to have hopes. It's good to have vision. But it's not good to try to plan out your life with this sense of overarching control. Part of the journey of faith is trusting in God's goodness to guide us as we do our part. And I think in this he's saying you shouldn't plan, but he's saying that you shouldn't have uh, control as something that you worship in your life, if I was to put it in a, the most broad sense. You know, here we're going to go over here and then we're going to do this. But the will of the Lord might be something different for your life. And although God has good things for us and gives us the desires of our heart, it's never on our terms. And um, yeah, all such boasting is evil. So when we, when we do that, when we say this is what will happen and we will do this uh, in a heart of arrogance and control, then we're actually sinning against God. Uh, which I've had to repent of personally, and maybe that's some some fat to chew for some of you guys listening out there. And then I love this last verse in 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Man, that convicts me so much because sometimes when we feel like we should do something, like the Holy Spirit's asking us to do something, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, and we ignore that voice of the Spirit, that's actually sin, uh, missing the mark. And we need to repent of that. And God's obviously changing our hearts and, and making us more Christ-like. And we lay our lives down for our brothers, yada, yada, yada. But I know um, I know for me, when Jesus asked me to do stuff, and I just say, oh, I don't want to. And, oh, uh, but it's fine, though. I'll do it next time. It's like, no, that's sin for you because you knew the good you were supposed to do. And you chose not to participate in that. And that's uh, that's not something that we should be a part of as believers. We should be doing the good that we have the Spirit putting on our hearts at all times and not making excuses because it's actually sin not to walk in that. So since we went through uh, chapter 4 so fast, let's go through the last chapter of James, which has a lot to say on um, wealth and healing. And So let's just let's read on and see what the Holy Spirit has to say. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because misery, because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Um, when he's talking about wealth here and the kind of attitude surrounding it, because obviously we know that God isn't against wealth. There's many examples of wealthy people in the Bible. Um, we know that uh, La Lazarus, I think, was quite wealthy, and we know that... Uh, you know, the story of Job, Job had a ton of wealth, despite it, you know, that's a whole other thing going on there. But, uh, and then Solomon had a lot of wealth. David was quite wealthy as a king. And, and so we know that God doesn't have a problem with that. He has a problem with your heart position and what you worship. And if you choose to walk in unrighteousness because you're so hungry for money, that's going to come back to bite you. And the judgment of God comes on that, even if we don't see the fruits of it in this lifetime. Uh, and I think that's what James 
is trying to say here. So then it goes on to verse 7, uh, and the header is patience and suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and s- sorry, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Wow. So the the patience and that's that's part of the endurance he talked about in the beginning. If we are patient and expectant of the Lord's return and his judgment of the earth, that's the the place that's gonna keep our hearts in the best position, um, not only to walk in the will of God, but also to hear from him and understand positionally kind of where he's coming from when he does speak to us. Uh, and don't grumble against one another. Oh, well, that's a direct instruction that I've failed in sometimes. Uh, but I know that uh, with God's grace, that will improve. It is easy to look everywhere else at the problems that everyone else has and not look at ourselves. So then verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Oh, hey, Job came up on his own. And have seen (laughs) what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Oof, that's heavy as well. Um, And obviously we would do well to heed that advice because it is in the Bible. I know I sometimes catch myself trying to solidify a statement that I've said by saying, I swear by, and it's that's actually not something we're supposed to do as believers, which uh, sometimes is easy to forget, especially when you live in, I live in Canada, so that speech pattern is actually very common. I don't know if it's super common in other countries, but... It's very common here. Okay, so now onto one of my favorite things that James talked about. It's uh, the prayer of faith, and we're on chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Yeah, wow, that's a powerful segment there, talking about the power of prayer, which I know I often forget. Uh, my wife and I have said several prayers and seen several prayers come to pass, that prayers be answered, that is, by the Spirit. And and the, the potency of prayer is amazing, and I think it's a really underly, underutilized tool as believers. And this, this is one of the clearest sections where it talks about um, praying for healing, and it also makes a connection between, especially for believers, between sin and sickness. Uh, and uh, there's lots of different opinions on it, but uh, I actually I want to give an example of this. 
uh, in my own life because you know it's not good to use other people as examples but i know for me i used to get cold sores a lot i don't know if you guys know what they are they're basically nasty pus-filled things on your face um but that was when i was in a lot of sexual sin and then as soon as i got born again again those actually went away and that was part of the fruit of uh, God's goodness, <laughs> uh, and, and repenting of my sexual sin and confessing it to my wife and my peers, uh, and coming clean. And then, uh, I was, I was healed of that. So that's an example of that, uh, that connection between the sin and, and sickness. And then obviously the prayer, prayer of faith, uh, so that you can be healed. And Elijah's powerful prayer, like praying the weather like that, holy moly, that's really, really amazing and really fantastic that that we have that example from God of the power of prayer. Okay, and then finally, in James chapter 5, verse 19, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know, I used to read this and think that it would cover over a multitude of the sins of, uh, the person that, uh, the person that was bringing the other person back, but I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's that it covers over bringing a person back into the fold when you do that, it covers over the multitude of sins they may have committed while they were out there. And that verse is really helpful in solidifying them feeling comfortable coming back and accepting the grace and forgiveness of God, which is always there. He's never out of grace. He's never out of mercy for people. Um, and it also is a pretty intense call for us to call people higher and bring people into truth in love. If we see sin in the church these days, a lot of times people are afraid of the conflict of calling something out. And not not that you should do it in the wrong spirit. And God is the judge of people's hearts. So you have to make sure that your heart is right before God if you're going to um, call somebody out. Not only that, but you have to make sure that your own heart and life are squared away um, before you, you can reasonably say something to somebody else. And that's part of the importance of having constant communion and relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. Um, but we are called to call people higher and call them out of sin because God's grace is enough to cover over that and bring them back immediately into the righteousness that he requires us to live in. And if we are willing to have those hard conversations with people, then it's going to save them from a lot of pain and suffering that they could experience if they chose to continue living in sin. So we're through the book of James. That's chapters four and five. Um, I hope you guys got something from this. Again, I didn't have a lot of spark notes, uh, but it, it kind of, the word was speaking for itself there, I felt anyway. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you do have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, I've actually put up a new email. So it's thecricketandtheking at gmail.com. So if you would like to send us an email, let us know what you think of the show and if you'd like any improvements or if you'd like me to make less awkward pauses or say less 
weird things. I don't know. Just kidding. I'll say whatever I want. It's my podcast. No. But uh, yeah, if, if you do have any uh, questions, concerns, qu- comments, crises, I would love to receive an email there. Again, that's thecricketandtheking at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will be back next time with whatever the Lord happens to put on my heart. So have a great day, evening, afternoon, whatever it is, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.